This is Series 5 of Brave New Girl Podcast. I'm your host, Lou Hamilton, and I welcome you to the Women's Impact Project, in which my guests share how they are positively impacting the world and the courage it takes to do so. If you're interested in making a difference by guesting on podcasts, you can find out how in my latest book, Dare to Share. This week's guest is Lucy McCarraher, co-founder of the hybrid publishing house Rethink Press and author of 12 books, including A Book of One's Own, a manifesto for women to share their expertise and make a difference. She helps you write and publish a book that will transform your business while creating a doable work-life integration. Welcome, Lucy, to Brave New Girl Podcast. Hi, Lucy. How are you? I'm well, thanks. Lovely to be here, Lou. Nice to have you. So it's been, uh, yeah, quite a, a couple of years. We've um, we've had the sort of roller coaster ride of trying to sort of manage and juggle. And and I know that you've spoken a lot on what we used to call work life balance, but I think that sort of changed into it's changed the word into integration more. So do you want to talk a little bit about how that has been? for you for the people that you've seen the author authors and for the book business itself well in fact yes it's been it's been an interesting time for the book business i mean it's been dreadful for actual bookshops but for publishers it's not been a bad time at all i mean we are a um, rethink press is a publisher of business books and our authors are entrepreneurs and generally small business owners and experts. Um, and there was a, when lockdown happened in sort of March 2020, there was a kind of like, it's everybody held their breath and it felt like, gosh, is anybody ever going to write a book again? Um, and, and there seemed to be a moment where nothing was happening. And then suddenly everybody realized that actually suddenly they had time to write their book. Um, so that was good for us, um, particularly in in the sense that we have uh, not just a publishing side, but also a coaching, a writing and coaching side. So we were able to um, help a lot of authors to get their books written who uh, possibly hadn't had time to sit down and do it before. Um, and yes, lots of books got published and everybody started reading more. So for us, it was um, we've been very lucky and it hasn't been it hasn't been difficult. The other thing for us is that Rethink Press was always a virtual company. We have never had a physical office. Every single person who works for Rethink Press, and that's kind of like, you know, we have a team of about 60 people now, but everybody works from home. We do get together sometimes, but we've been on Zoom and doing virtual meetings for years. So we just went on doing it and it wasn't too disruptive for us. So overall, I feel we've been extremely lucky um, over, over the whole COVID period. And do you think it was things like people not having to commute that they had they found they had an extra couple of hours um, that that would have otherwise been spent sitting on a train, things I like think that. Yeah, I think it was partly that. But I think it was also the fact that they couldn't go out and meet people. So prospects, clients, partners, um, but but they wanted something that could go out there and do that for them. And that's what a book is so brilliant at doing. You know, a book is kind of like a an extended conversation with you. And so, you know, everybody who reads your book is sitting there listening to your words in their head or whether they're reading or listening to your audio book or or 
whatever. So it really is um, a very intense interaction. And the kind of books that we generally publish, our authors are telling their ideal market about what they do and how they do it, not in a sort of salesy way, but just telling them how they can do it. And, and, you know, a lot of their readers will just gain that value and know how to improve their life or their business from reading it. Others will feel um, this is, you know, this, this, this author really gets me, I need to come back and work with them. So, you know, when, when you can't go out and, and, and sell yourself, um, we, I mean, our strap line is nothing sells you like a book, particularly because a book is an undercover sales agent it's not a marketing brochure it's not a business card it's not a pitch um, but it does you know tell people how immensely experienced and knowledgeable and valuable you are people always ask me so how on earth do you find time to to write a book and I just say it's little and often so I carve out you know I started when the kids were were little and I would just get up at the absolute crack of dawn or not even get up I'd just start writing in bed at the crack of dawn and it was that sort of golden hour where everybody, the world seemed to be asleep. And and even if it was only an hour or an hour and a half or two hours a day, you you just can't believe how quickly a book gets written when you do it little and often. So in terms of balancing life and, and writing, how how do you advise your the people that you coach? Well, that's, that's exactly how I advise them. I, I mean, I think the first thing to say is, always plan out your book in massive detail before you start writing, because then you've got that structure in your head, you know where you're going, you know how much you're going to write about this or that in what order and how you're going to illustrate it. So um, we always do a lot of planning work before we do anything else. Um, we even have um, a bespoke book planning software um, that we the work with, and we have a kind of coloured card system, so different areas of text and content. Um, you can see exactly how they, you know, you can physically see your book um, on the screen or on the floor if you on a table if you want to use actual cards. Um, and that's really important to get that done first. I think a lot of books get started but not finished when people don't plan first. Because if you don't do that, it sort of becomes overwhelming. It is a big task. And, you know, you need to have structure within that. But you, I mean, you've just described um, the writing habit that I think the majority of authors that I have mentored through writing their book um, find the most useful. So, I mean, I always say find a writing habit and do it, you know, regularity, consistency is the really important thing um, for, I think for most people, you know, stealing an hour out of your day, five days a week is just a brilliant way to get a book written because it's also the other thing to remember is it's not just about the time you spend with your fingers on the keyboard and watching your words on the screen. It's about processing and as you go through the writing process as I'm sure you will have find you make connections you see new ideas you 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 have new thoughts put things together in a different way and I, I mean the great thing is that a lot of people um, find that writing their book actually improves their business just in the act of writing because you get such clarity about it um, so but I, I do think that um, it's different for everybody for some people I think the majority of people that I know and hour first thing in the morning before you do anything else at all is the perfect way to step 
by step get a book written. Um, but for some, some people are night owls. Some people like to take their weekends to do writing. Some people like to, you know, do it in bigger chunks. And I, one person I know um, just took her um, a bunch of cards out, you know, the cards with the sort of little titles of parts of the book um, every day. And anytime she was sitting in a, in a traffic jam, well, they're not quite in a traffic jam, but, you know, parked waiting for someone somewhere, you know, she'd just, she'd just scribble, you know, kind of 10 minutes worth of writing. And she literally got her book written in teeny micro chunks. Um, so, you know, there's all sorts of ways of doing it. But it's, it's, I think you're right. It's about having a habit and being consistent and just not stopping. So were you always a book lover, a bookworm, even when you were little? I was, yes. I found, you know, a whole wonderful world of books very early on. My parents had an incredibly <laughs> strange and eclectic coll collection of books, and I probably read some things I shouldn't have written, read when I was young. But, but yes, I just oh, it was just the thing that you know was was um, I found that I was, you know, I was good at writing and I loved reading, um, and you know, just worlds in my head were you know, most happy experiences, I suppose, in many ways, which is not said in her friends and a nice and a nice family life too. But yeah, reading reading has always been has always been my thing. So yes, books I've kind of um been in and out of all my life. But also I've been the editor of a magazine and there are and I've been I've been in front of the camera and behind the camera for TV um, and enjoyed, really enjoyed writing scripts. And when I was a work-life balance consultant, one of the bits I liked best about it was writing up reports so that people could, you know, um, sort of telling stories again, um, giving case studies and making people see, being able to feed the information to people um, in written format so that they, um, so that I could try and change their minds. However, the pandemic's done it a lot better than I ever did. <laughs> Yeah, that's true. <laughs> it's forced us all to uh, to really assess, hasn't it? Yeah, absolutely. So this kind of world of imagination in, in books, um, you sort of took out into the real world through acting and, and performance and, and TV and magazines. And, and you sort of set out into the world. And at a very young age, was it 21, you, you headed off to Australia on a big adventure and, and sort of stayed out there. So what happened there when you got there? Oh, well, that was, yes. I mean, I got married very young when I was 20, you know, stupidly young, really. Um, but we went out to Australia because my husband got a job lecturing in uh, in, in drama um, at a uh, university in Australia. And the first thing we did when we got there, which was kind of mad, was to set up a monthly theatre magazine because there wasn't one in Australia. And there was a perfectly good reason why there wasn't one, because, because Australia is very small in terms of population. Um, and very big in terms of space. So um, commercially, it was a completely unviable um, proposition. But those were the days when you could get lots of arts funding. And, and ridiculously, you know, we come in as two young English people who decided to write, to create a, a magazine for Australians about their own theatre. So actually, it was my first taste of realising that um, the printed word 
kind of made you an expert in, you know, people, if people read what you'd written about something, they naturally assumed that you were an expert. So starting this magazine was extraordinary in terms of it just kind of got us into the um, Australian theatre scene. I wrote for other magazines. Um, I, in fact, I got my own TV programme on the basis of having started a, a, a theatre. It was, it was really bizarre, but a, a really exciting time. So that's what happened. And then so we stayed out there, there for eight years and then for family reasons, we, we came home. Um, and that was nice, too, actually. So you had two boys together and you and I think that you then ran you ran a TV production company. Um, That's so right. you so I guess that was the beginning of sort of beginning to understand work life balance, um, being able to have have your business and a family. So how did that pan out? Um, well, yes. Um, I mean, I suppose having, having, you know, run our own business of the theatre magazine, um, was a, a kind of, I mean, I didn't even kind of think about the word entrepreneur or entrepreneurial at that point. But, um, I mean, I have literally never had a job, not a, you know, a proper employed job in somebody else's business. So, um, I just, you know, when, when, um, our first son was born in Australia and I mean, I think he came into the um, we did have an office then he came into the office with me for a few months when he was tiny I was literally proofreading in the hospital shortly after I'd given birth so um, it's always been yes I mean certainly having children having small children um, meant that flexibility was absolutely essential and I've just always built um, my work around around ch childcare really which has gone on kind of endlessly for me because, <laughs> because I then later had uh, adopted two uh, two little girls from Russia um, with my second husband and sort of started a second family and um, so um, yeah <laughs> it's been a, a long <laughs> being a, a working parent has been an ongoing process for a very long time. <laughs> I mean, just being an entrepreneur is is full of a roller coaster ride and and tough. At, you know, even at the best of times, it's it's tough going. But then having you know, you had already had two sons, didn't you? And then then you in adopted these these two girls from Russia. So what was, how did that happen? And I mean, that must have been quite challenging that whole process. So how how was that for you? It was. I mean, I I never had more than two children at home at the same time, so I didn't kind of have a family of four to deal with. Um, but what happened was that, um, sadly, my first husband and I um, split up, and um, then I married again. And my uh, with my second husband, we adopted um, two little girls. It was a, a kind of complicated process. My mother was involved in, well, she was chairman of Bernardo's for a long time. And she so she was very involved with childcare. And, and so she knew about intercountry adoption. And when it became clear that we weren't going to have our own children, she suggested adopting from overseas and put us in touch with the agencies that, um, that that could help us there. So that's what we did. And it was kind of, um, <laughs> it was it was an extraordinary process, really complicated because adopting is complicated if you just do it in your own country. But we had two bureaucratic countries to deal with uh, quite far apart who were looking for 
very different kinds of ways of, of, of finding out whether you are a good adoptive, you know, a suitable adopted, adoptive parent. So we made quite a few journeys to Russia and back. Um, we couldn't adopt two children at once. We had to do one and then another one. Um, they couldn't be related. And that was a British stipulation. I mean, it was very, it was I mean, it was a huge project, and in a way, I love projects, and so it was in itself. It was um, it was um, very um, interesting and a huge learning curve to do. So yes, um, and then we um, we moved to the country, and so my sons are very kind of urban. Uh, well, I mean, they're not boys; they're uh, men in their thirties now. And um, you know, my daughters are um, uh, a kind of country girls who love riding, and um, uh, you know, uh, can't see the point of living in a city. So it was two very different family experiences, but both needing a lot of flexibility um, in terms of working around them. So you were caring for your your two daughters and and then starting um, a business um, around books. How did that come about? Well, I spent a few years um, writing um, when I uh, when I'd been a work life balance consultant for some time. I um, and actually having written um, my first book was about work life balance. And that, again, showed me, you know, how that could really build a business and and give you an incredible profile. Um, So I thought at, at that point that a I'd kind of experienced enough life and b I would feel, you know, I could take a bit of time off and I decided to start writing um, a novel um, which was what I'd always wanted to be when I thought about writing when I was a child and being a writer and an author that's what was in my mind you know writing novels so I did um, I had a go at that I wrote one full novel and I sent it to an agent that I had uh, that I knew um, and I got a very quick response from her which I was really excited by but what she said was Lucy this is both boring and unbelievable and I was like oh how can that be I've based this on a lot of my life it's true it can't be unbelievable but what she pointed out to me was that what I'd done is actually not just I I thought I was being really creative and I kind of poured out this you know this story as it came to me and there was no structure none at all and she very actually nicely afterwards pointed that out and it changed my entire view of of books and stories and 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 that really influences how I put together business books as well and I help other people put to um, you know put their business books together based on a structure that takes readers through a journey that is enjoyable and has ups and downs and variety Anyway, I, t- I took on board what she said, um, and I did uh, structure out wrote the wrote the kind of very detailed structure of the of a revised version of this first novel, and then I wrote a couple of chapters and kind of gave up on it. And then um, Richard and Judy, I don't know if you remember, they still have yeah. their book club, but they started it. Um, with a novel competition which was sponsored by Macmillan the publishers and a couple of people who'd read my second version said oh why don't you submit it so eventually kind of just on the deadline I did and I didn't hear anything for months and the kind of date when they were going to announce a winner passed and I thought well you know obviously um, I won't have won and then suddenly out of the blue a few months later I got a letter from Macmillan saying um 
thanks for submitting your, uh, your, your, your novel idea. Um, it didn't win. And I thought, no, well, that's very nice of you to tell me that. I assume that. <laughs> but they went on to say, we, I'm sorry it's taken so long. We had 47,000 entries. <gasps> and yours was one of 10 that we really liked. And um, we'd like to publish it anyway. And can you send us the full manuscript? Well, of course, oh. I mean, that was massively exciting, but there was no full manuscript. <laughs> <laughs> I had to call them and say, you know, can you wait for me to actually write this? And they did. And um, then they published it. So that was, you know, that was a huge kind of um, um, exciting time. Unfortunately, it didn't make me any money. I did not become J.K. Rowling. Um, <laughs> but I wrote a couple more novels. And sorry, I'm finally getting to the point of the question you originally asked me, which was, I was going to write a novel um, about self-help books and women using them, but it turned into a self-help book. And I found a publisher to publish it called Joe Gregory, um, who had a company called Bookshaker. We discovered that we lived very near each other. I went to work for his company that was publishing um, business and self-development books and then thought, oh, there's a way we could do this differently, suggested to him a different business model, and we started up Rethink Press together. So that's finally, I've got answered your question. That's how it happened. It's interesting because you you took on board the the original feedback and 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 then ran with it and then found the kind of winning formula and then created a, a business from that, from what you learned. And and so I wonder, how do you find it with writers who, you know, when when we write our our words, they're very precious to us. It's like a sort of giving birth to a baby. And and so when people give feedback, it's quite hard to hear and then take on board another approach. So is that how you then developed your the coaching side? Yes, it is. I mean, we we found that there were um, that there were a lot of people who wanted to write their book but didn't feel they could, um, didn't feel they had the the, the abilities um, to do it. So we sort of developed the coaching initially for them. But there were also people, of course, you know, people came to us with books they'd written, and you know, we want to produce books, to publish books that really represent their authors as the best they can be. So they need to be professional, they need to be well written. Um, so we develop, we have a very rigorous editing process. Um, for for all our books, but also if the books, if the manuscripts when they come in are not, you know, sort of ready even for editing, then we can offer help to the authors to get their manuscript up to up to the right standard for that. So so yes, it, it's sort of um, it is. It, I mean, it's strange. It is all in a way based on that feedback um, I had, the kind of tough love I had from the that agent. But um, yes, it's really important to um, to support authors through the process, not to kind of tell them off because you know the book's not good enough or whatever. Because most of our authors are not professional writers. Um, you know, they will write one book um, and it's about their business, but you know, writing is not their thing. So what we provide is um, is professional support in both the writing and the publishing sides um, so they can, you know, present themselves, talk about themselves and their businesses and what they do in the best possible way. I mean, we've had some, you know, really heartwarming stories 
um, um, stories, if you like, um, about, you know, authors who have been extremely dyslexic, um, never thought they could write a book. And with different sorts of, you know, coaching and writing support, we've able, we've been able to make that happen for them. And it's just so, um, it's just so lovely when they're so thrilled by, you know, having done this, because I think becoming an author, writing a book is something, is an ambition that a lot of people hold, um, even if they, you know, even if they don't make it public. Um, and it's it's really such an exciting thing when, as, as you know, when you get your box of books, your first books um, delivered and you actually see, yes, this is my book. There's my name on the cover. I wrote this um, and it looks great. It is a very, very exciting moment when you open that box. So the whole landscape landscape of publishing has changed over, I don't know, probably the last five, 10 years. And the concept of self-publishing has come through and and then um, what you have, which is the the hybrid model, which is the sort of crossover between self-publishing and um, how do we put it, sort of um, old school publishing. Um, so so what do you see as the benefit of of going for the hybrid model? Well, yes, no, you're absolutely right. We do kind of sit, sit in the middle between the traditional publishers, what we we call them, um, and the self-publisher, uh, the self-publishing author. So the traditional publishing model, the business model, is that the publisher invests in the book. They are they pay for everything. They um, they 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 used to kind of provide the author with um, an advance sometimes, um, much, much less often now, but against royalties. Uh, it's not just a kind of, you know, they're not kind of um, giving them a present up front. Um, it, and then they they need to recoup their investment. And the only way they can do that is through sales of the actual book. Um, so that's quite a limiting model in the sense that um, for them, for the for the traditional publisher, they have to pick authors who are going to sell books. They cannot, um, uh, you know, ideally. I mean, of course, they do sometimes because it's a bit of a gamble. But they they don't. They're not looking for authors who they just love the books of. But no, they're not going to sell any because they'd go broke if they do that. Um, so what we do, um, and then on the other hand, you've got the self-publishing author who becomes a micro publisher of their own work and has to but still has to manage the process of for instance getting an editor finding a cover designer finding a designer and typesetter of their interior a proofreader learning how to get their book up on amazon and you know it's there's a lot of work um, in that as well so we stand between the two we we offer the service that a traditional publisher will give, um, having, you know, a very professional team of um, editors, designers and publishers and all that. Um, but the author pays upfront for those services. So we are not reliant as a publisher on sales. and we So we can publish books that don't have a huge market. And a lot of our authors are very niche. I mean, they, they don't expect to sell a lot of books because that's not how they're going to get the return on their investment. They are investing in their book so they can use it to build their business, um, to build their profile, to 
um, get more, turn more prospects into clients, to get partnerships, to um, appear in the media, um, and to generally raise their authority and influence, and therefore be able to raise their prices. So, you know, our authors might, you know, if they sell a book, they might make two pounds on it. If they get a book into the right person's hands, they might make £2,000 or £20,000 when that person turns into a client. So that is the model that we um, that, that, that we work to. Um, our books are, you know, the same level of, of professionalism as, you know, the traditional publishers. Um, but we take all that kind of stress and project management off the self-published author, um, which I think, I mean, self-publishing is great, I think, for some people, particularly where their book is their product, like a, like a novelist who's going to write loads of, you know, books one after another, and, you know, they learn to publish them themselves, and it becomes a little business in its own right. But for our authors who are entrepreneurs and business owners, um, the book is not their product, it's part of their product ecosystem. But it is about using and leveraging the book to sell their bigger services and products. And so then you went on to to create the Business Book Awards, and you had a bit of a shock when the first um, when because I did, you weren't on were you on the judging panel or not? No, no, I don't do any judging at all. Yeah. Um, so, as, as a, a publisher, I couldn't, uh, I couldn't do yeah. that. So, um, but yes, uh, no, we, <laughs> well, I founded the Business Book Awards in 2017. And the first awards uh, kind of took place in 2018. Um, we had 20 judges then who were 10 women, 10 men, you know, sort of um, from various areas of business and publishing and, um, and, 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 and writing. Um, and um, we had 150 entries, which was good because we didn't know if we were going to get any that first time round. Um, uh, but uh, when we got to the final um, uh, awarding of, of the winners, we had 10, 10 categories and one overall Business Book of the Year award. And we got to the point where we were, you know, kind of saying, okay, these are the winners. And it turned out that our, all, every single one of our 11 winners was uh, written a fantastic book, great author, but they were all white men. Every single one was a white man. So um, we <laughs> that was not um, as we had <laughs> expected it to be or wanted it to be, um, even though they were all great. And, and I sort of tracked back and realised that only a third of the entries were from women authors. So we'd had 150 entries, but only 50 of those were from women. So I went on a big mission. I kind of wrote a book about it called The Book of One's Own, where I really put the point. Um, I, I did a lot of research with women authors and to find out what had challenged them when they were writing their books and publishing their books and how we could get over that and um, and how they could do it. So I wrote a book encouraging, I hope, more women to write their book. And I started a Facebook group where women authors and aspiring authors could, could come and feel supported um, and just generally went out and talked a lot about why women should get their book out there. And um, the following year, we had more books by women. And I've literally just come off a call with the um, 
with the judging panel for this year's Business Book Award, we've had 300 entries. 44% are from women authors. Um, last year, we had, um, you know, fantastic. We had 275 entries. So it keeps growing. And the percentage of women um, keep publishing their books and entering them in the awards keep going. And um, they, you know, last year we had just as many shortlisted and um, winners, women as men, and also generally much more diverse than that first year. So um, I'm really <clears throat> thrilled that we've been able to use the Business Book Awards as a platform for diversity. And, and also in the sense that we are one of the few um, uh, sort of literary awards, um, book awards that say that anybody, however they've published their book, can enter. So we again, we have self-published books, hybrid published books, traditional published books, and they all get absolutely equal treatment. Um, and yeah. And so looking forward into the future, how can you ensure that you help to level the playing field with diverse voices across the board? Well, um, we have, I mean, the judging panel is now 40 strong. We, you know, specifically look for diversity in the judging panel. Um, I try and talk about the diversity and the importance of um, uh, diverse business people writing their books and um, making sure that, you know, uh, trying to just tell them they can do it. Because I have, you know, I certainly do have feedback from people um, of different types and um who who really feel that they can't they you know there was no chance that they could ever write their book i mean one of the nicest things about the two winners of the of the business book awards last year they were both um uh, non-white men um and they were just like oh well, gosh we did this we never thought that you know two asian guys could write a book and win an award and that was just you know that was just really kind of lovely um so i mean i think i think the main thing to do is just to keep talking about it um, keep putting it out there making that the making the structure uh, diverse I mean one thing we've done every year is we've added new categories so that more books um, that sort of speak to business if you like in different ways can enter um, and always reviewing the descriptions of the categories so it doesn't sound like you know this is a book for men um, this is a category that we want men to enter um, so um, I mean for, uh, we added a category this year called smart thinking which was kind of more less um, specifically business than some of the previous ones and we very carefully worded it um, so that um, you know we, we hope that it wouldn't just um, kind of attract men so we we called it books that introduce new ideas or cast new light on old subjects challenging and improving the way we think work and live um, and I'm really happy to say that we've got lots of women entering that category in fact it's our biggest category this year we've had 36 um, books entered in that category and there are men and women and you know diversity of all kinds so that's really exciting. That's really exciting for the future isn't it? And and so in in light of this impact that you're trying to make in the world, in the world of books, how do you define courage? I think um, I define courage by being aware of risk. I mean, the fact is that women are much more risk averse than men generally. I mean, that's well researched. Um, 
and I think sometimes we're over risk averse. So I think it's it's important to be aware of risk, but to really evaluate it. And I think the courageous bit is to even when you feel something is a risk, but you really care about it to push through and do it anyway. Thank you so much, Lucy, for championing women and helping them bring their expertise, experience, positive impact and influence to the world so that we start to read more nuanced and diverse books that reflect the lives we live and the businesses we run. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me, Lou. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks, Lucy, for showing us that even in our busy lives, we can carve out space to write and share our books for the benefit of others. You can find out more about Lucy's work at www.lucymccarraher.com and follow her on LinkedIn at Lucy McCarraher. Thanks to Silk Studios for producing and sourcing the guests for the show. And thanks to you all for listening. Take care, choose courage and see you next week.